0: All right, gang, if you want to turn your Bibles to Philippians 3 and 4, we'll finish that up tonight. Philippians 3 and 4. Uh, kids camp coming up pretty soon. Um, keep it in your prayers. It's, it's, uh, things are going a little differently this year, which is fine. We're open to that. Just with Moera kind of being a little, they're not sure what they want to do with us over there. We get to do the rope course, which is good, but not the wall or the the teepee looking thing that we climb up. So we can't do that. They won't give us the uh, paintball obstacles. So we're going to have to make our own there. So we may need some help with making some lightweight, easy to carry paintball obstacles. And no bow and arrow this year. They won't let them take us off, let us take that off their property this year. Um, so a little different, maybe canoes, maybe not, so it's kind of we're just praying our way through it that whatever it is it is it'll be great. Kids always have a great time um, um, it'll work but uh, so please be praying with us if you want to volunteer or help out that week um, out there, just let Josh know or myself or Jenny or anybody that you think might you know already be Signed up for it, and we'll get you a place to do. Even if you're not sure, you know, some people don't sign up because they can't commit. They don't, I don't know what exactly what I'm doing that day. That's fine. If you just show up out there, we we'll, can put you someplace usually or call that morning because um, we may have 20 people show up, and we don't need you. But um, we can usually find someone. You could take their place for a while and give them a break. So um, that's coming up here, uh, middle of, or second week, third week in June. Is that about what it is? I think. All right, so anyway, that's coming up. Uh, chapter 3. Let's get into it. Just like a good pastor, now remember this uh, this letter is four chapters long. So 50% of the way, the pastor says, finally. Right? (laughs) We're going to close here in a minute, and then 30 minutes later we close, right? Finally, my brethren rejoice in the Lord. He says that a lot. Keep that in mind. You can can almost mark it down how many times he says it in this book. Rejoice in the Lord. For me to write uh, the same thing to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. So he's going to move into a different subject here uh, of warning, of uh, beware of, of those. Now, the reason he says rejoice so many times is because someone has stolen their joy. Um, Satan wants to steal our joy. People would like to steal our joy. Um, There's nothing more frustrating to an unbeliever or to a carnal believer is a born-again believer who's enjoying their walk with Jesus. And they'll try to make sure that you just must not understand (laughs) your situation. So they'll try to explain to you how bad you really are, how awful the situation really is, so that you can wipe that smile off your face and be like they are. Um, And so he tells them that over and over again. Rejoice. Something's happened to you. Watch out for these folks that are coming because they're going to try to steal that joy from you. There's always a reason to rejoice in the Lord. You may be going through difficult times and seasons in your life, but you can still rejoice in what God has done for you. In fact, that's our safe space. When this world is beating us down, we go to that place where we understand Christ and Jesus and what he's done for us and where our home is um, and the work that he's done in us so far and that he's going to be faithful to complete that work. Um, And that brings joy to our heart, even in any of those troubling situations. So he tells them that. It's not tedious for me, uh, but for you it's safe. I want to write to you these things again. We need to be reminded of things. Peter even says that in his letters. I know that you know this, but I'm here to remind you of these things because we need to be reminded. Here's what he's reminding them of. Beware of dogs, not canines. People. I just pause there for a minute because sometimes I think we're a little cautious about what we call people. Paul says right off the bat, I want you to watch out for people that are like dogs. Well, That's not very loving. How are you going to win them to Christ? Aren't we supposed to be loving and careful? In it? Paul says watch out for people that are like dogs. I also want you to watch out for people that are of evil work. They're evil workers. They're evil workers. They're not just guys that are misguided or don't have enough information yet. They practice evil. And then I also want you to watch out for those that are mutilators. Those are the people that are promoting the circumcision. That after you become a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you have to be circumcised to be saved. Watch out for those folks. They're mutilators. He doesn't pull any punches. Paul's very honest. He's a good shepherd. He's not afraid to hurt feelings on the other side, that is. He always wants to care for his sheep, but he could care less about the wolves. They are a threat to the sheep, and we always have to have that attitude. That's a great heart to have as a solid Bible-believing, Jesus-loving Christian. Is to look at wolves and call them out for what they are, and not be afraid of that. Um, We get worried about those things nowadays. I don't know. You know, we got to be careful how we say that because you never know. Nope, they're a wolf. They're a dog. They're evil workers, they're mutilators, watch out for them. And these are people that profess to be believing Christians. He's not talking about unbelievers, he's not talking about uh, people that worship other gods. He's talking about Jews that have accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, but are also attached to the law, telling other people that they need to have this, that, or the other thing, stealing people's joy. He says they're evil workers, they're dogs, and they're mutilators. I just thought I'd spend some time there tonight. So we understand that the writer of the New Testament, most of the New Testament, this is how he speaks publicly. This is a letter written and read to all the churches. Well, Philippi, but it's going to be spread. Obviously, we've been reading it for 2,000 years. And so we need to be as bold. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. Rejoice, there it is again, in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh though I also might have confidence in the flesh. Here's what he's going to do. Um, He's saying, those who worship God must worship him in spirit and truth, because God is spirit. He's told us that earlier, okay? Um, And that's a scripture. Um, And so he tells them, although you're not physically circumcised, you're spiritually circumcised. That's taken place. We're not worried about what the physical looks like. We're concerned about the spiritual. And even in the Old Testament, we've read this, that it's a circumcision of the heart. It's not a physical circumcision that you can see. It's something that's happened in the heart. And so he warns them about that. You, you, you may not be physically circumcised, but you're more Jewish than they are because you have had the circumcision of the heart. And so he's trying to encourage them to rejoice in that, not to feel second-class Christian but that they're actually doing exactly what God wanted them to do. So watch out for the mutilators that are trying to steal your joy and tell you that although you've had a circumcision of the heart, you obviously haven't been, I don't know how they know that, but you obviously haven't been circumcised, and so you need to have that done. And so he says, watch out for them. They have confidence in the flesh. I don't want you to have confidence in the flesh, I want you to have confidence in the spirit. But if we're going to talk about confidence in the flesh, Paul says, let's talk about confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. I guess if we're going to compare pedigrees, Paul says, I smoke them all. I'm way better than any of them, and I'm telling you, since I'm a better scholar, a more uh, uh, you know, a lofty scholar than they are, even don't worry about what they're teaching. Stick with me. Stick with what I do. He's going to say that as much later on in verse 17. We need to be careful. If you turn to Romans chapter 2, verse 28, beginning in verse 28. Because although this is 2,000 years ago, we still have the same kind of folks walking around today. Just they're in jeans now instead of ephods. Um, it's, it's the same thought, it's the same idea. It's a principle of walking in the spirit as opposed to walking in the flesh, even when it comes to religion. Even when it comes to your Christianity, you don't walk in the flesh, you walk in the spirit. It says in verse 28, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Circumcision will get you praise from men. You'll make those guys happy, the mutilators, the dogs, the evil workers, if you get circumcised, if that's what you want. You'll get your pat on the back from them. Ouch, I'd pass. But if you want praise from God, continue doing what you're doing, Paul says. You've got it right. You've got what he's always wanted. He's, he's got your heart. He could care less about that flap of skin. He wants your heart, and you've given it to him. And so be, be encouraged in that. Be, be lifted up in that. It's a, it's, a, it's a thing that as Christians today, we have to be careful. That am, and it's a question we ask ourselves tonight, am I a Physical Christian or a spiritual Christian. Am I, and here's what I mean by physical physical is, and there's nothing wrong with this, attendance, owning a Bible, um, um, wearing a cross around your neck, I don't know, add some, a bumper sticker on the back of your car. These are, these are all physical things, but they by no means make you a Christian. Going to youth group your whole life, going to Sunday school your whole life doesn't make you a Christian. It's a work of, the, of God in the heart. It's a spiritual thing. And I think that's our biggest problem in this neck of the woods. It's when you ask people about their testimony, as we talked about. And some people have a great testimony. I received Christ and was a born-again believer when this happened. Right here, I, I got saved. Oh, that's awesome. My eyes were open. My heart was, I was flooded. It was amazing. Wow, you know, that's what John chapter 3 speaks of, being born of <laughs> the Spirit. On the other hand, you have another testimony that may say, "I've been a Christian my whole life." That's impossible. That doesn't happen. Well, I've I've always been in the church. I've grown up in the church. I I don't have a defining moment. I don't have a. There needs to be one. I'm not saying it has to be uh, fireworks, but there needs to be a time when you can look back and say, "My life has absolutely changed from here on out. I've been. I'm different." There was that one time in this one moment, at this one conference or whatever, when it just hit me. That's what being born again is. And these folks who haven't had that apparently, they've accepted Christ as the Savior, but maybe not in their hearts. I don't know where they stand, that's between them and God, are still doing the outward as evidence of their salvation, and encouraging other people that if they don't do those things that are outward, they're probably not saved, which is the greater sin. And so we have to be careful that we are born-again believers, and it's a question I want to ask everybody that shows up at church. You know, um, have you received Christ as your Lord and Savior? And oftentimes they say, well, I was baptized. No, 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 that's not what I asked you. I didn't ask you when you got wet. I don't ask you for the date on your certificate that means nothing that's the circumcision of modern day you know that's a modern-day circumcision I don't care about that what I care about is when was your heart transformed when you when did you begin not attending church but worshiping God with other people at the same location that's the question and so Paul warns them about that beware of those that try to pull you in that direction Of the outward. It's dangerous. It's detrimental. He's going to explain why here in a minute. Verse 7. But what things were gained to me. Remember he just went through his pedigree. All the things that were awesome about himself. But what things were gained to me. These I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss. For the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And count them as rubbish But he says, I count all that stuff that I just told you, I tribe of Benjamin, uh, Hebrew of Hebrews, Pharisees, zealous, persecuted the church, righteousness, blameless, you know, all that. I count it as rubbish for what I've learned in Christ. Strong words, um, especially for a Jew to say out loud in Jerusalem or anywhere in Israel. I count all those things I just mentioned to you, which everybody counted as reaching the top. I count that all as rubbish. And that's what everybody's reaching for, and that's offensive. When you spent your whole life trying to reach the top of the pile and someone tells you the top of the pile is rubbish, that's offensive. He does it on purpose. He's not afraid to offend so that people know the truth. Because the truth is, I found Christ, and he's over here. He's not even in the pile. (laughs) You guys are climbing that pile. There's nothing up there. It's emptiness. I've been to the top. I counted as rubbish. It was a complete waste of time. What I found in Christ, though, is everything, and that's in the Spirit. Turn to John chapter 3. I know we know John 3.16, but let's read more of the chapter. Because Jesus lays out to Nicodemus some very serious things that I don't think we say very much anymore. In fact, Jenny even made that comment to me. You know, we don't use the word born again enough. Um, We used to. As he's talking to Nicodemus in verse 5, Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit... let me, let me back up to 3, verse 3. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He tells Nicodemus, You must be born again. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? In other words, it was a mystery to him. This is a, this is a riddle, right, Jesus? I don't quite understand it. Obviously, I can't be born again. It's, it's different. It's a second birth. It's not a, a, a rebirth. It's a second birth. You've been born of water. You've been born... You're physical, you're here, you're standing here, you've obviously been born. This is a second thing that needs to take place in your life. You need a second birth. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb? To be born, obviously, he's just thinking of the physical. And Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, what you're talking about, Nicodemus, and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. It's that big of a deal. You celebrate your birthday, right? We all have birthdays. Um, We celebrate those. Um, This is your second birthday. Your Spirit is awakened. It's alive. Um, we use this analogy, and I'll try to do it quickly because we've got a lot of ground to cover here, but God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's a trinity, right? We know that, and then we're body, soul, and spirit. And it's, it's the spirit. That's where we connect with God. That's where we're able to talk with him, but we ate that tree in the Garden of Eden. The spirit died, and so now we're just body and soul. We're living off our emotions, and we're living off our flesh, and we do whatever they tell us to do, and that's how we're born, and that's how every person was born after that moment. They're all born with dead spirit. And what John is, or what John is saying, and what Jesus is saying, and what Paul is trying to say is, that's great, you've been born of water, you are emotional, and you are physical, for sure, but you have to be born of the Spirit if you're ever going to have that relationship with God. You must be born again, you must have a second birth, another one. In addition to, obviously, to your physical birth, it would be possible to have it without any other way. But you've got to be born again. And so that's the question you ask people that show up at church every day, and they're living off emotion, and they're living off of their flesh. And they show up at church, and that's how they live. Oh, well, I didn't like the worship today. My emotions weren't evoked. I wasn't evoked. I wasn't spurred, but my emotions. Uh, the sermon was boring. I fell asleep three different times. That's the flesh. We've got to get to the place where we're asking okay, but... when you're you're worshiping God in spirit and truth, it doesn't matter who's in front of you. As long as the word of God was cracked open and his word was spoken, something should have gotten through. I haven't been to a teaching ever in my entire life since I've been born again that I didn't get something from God. I've never sat there and said, well, that was a total waste of time. What a loser. You know, who is that guy up there? I've always got something, a note, and it was profound, and it changed my life, because if I'm willing and able and ready, born again, in tune, paying attention, worshiping God in spirit and truth, and he says something out of his word, and I could have be it could be John 3, who's calling me? Oh, sorry. I was going to use this, and now someone's calling me. That's Goodbye. Um, Should have been a church. It's none of you people, right? Um, I get something from it and I write it down and I make a big note on it and I put a date by it and that's the day God spoke this to me. you know. And I don't get it when people don't get that, I don't understand that. Um, my, that's, that's when the question arises, are you, are you born again? And that's when the answer usually is, I've always gone to church. That's not what was asked of you, are you born again? Has that spirit been awakened in you? And Paul is telling them, these folks that are telling you to go back to the flesh, to go back to the law, to go back to the mutilation and all the rituals and all these things, no, 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 no. That's all rubbish compared to what I found in Christ. Because that, that was a righteousness that was from the law. We have now a righteousness that comes from God. It's a gift. And maybe that's something that's new for people this, this afternoon or this evening righteousness is a gift from God. I can't attain it. I can't do it. Uh, Righteousness according to the law, which means here's the law, do it, and then you'll have righteousness. So I find out the law, and I do what the law says, I've got some righteousness. A couple tablespoons of righteousness over here. I'm excited about that. It was a pretty good week. I wasn't a complete reprobate. You know, I did okay. But he's saying, no, 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 I've found complete righteousness. I haven't worked for righteousness it was given to me by Christ Christ's righteousness was handed to me and I put it on like a robe and now I wear perfect righteousness that I could have never even worked for you got a choice i'm going to work at mcdonald's this week for 40 hours nothing wrong with that don't get me wrong everybody needs to have a job and i'm going to make 7.35 an hour i don't know what minimum wage is anymore 7.86 maybe now i don't know what it is and i'm going to walk away after taxes with 120 bucks for seven days work. Or we could hand you 30 million. It's up to you what you want to do. That's the comparison here. Paul says, I mean, I work and I work and I work and I sweat, I'm over a fryer all day long, and I've really been and that 120 bucks, that's mine. And then there's some guy over here with 30 million that someone just gave him. Hmm. We need to have that righteousness which comes by faith. It's a gift from God. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. That's what I'm hoping for. That's what Paul's goal is. I want the resurrection from the dead. I want to be resurrected with Christ. Verse 12. Not that I have already attained. He's not saying he's reached perfection or am already perfected. But I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Hmm. Christ Jesus has laid hold of you and I this evening, so that we can lay hold of something, and we need to be pressing on towards that. Um, many parent probably understands this. You want your—I I didn't have you to to be a, a a driveling, stumbling kid your whole life. I want you to learn how to walk. I want you to learn how to eat. You need to learn how to talk and so on. We don't just have babies and just keep them there. We want them to grow. God has laid hold of us. We're born again believers in Jesus Christ, and now he wants us to grow. And that's what teaching the Bible does. When we receive God's word into our hearts, we grow, we become more mature. And he says, so that's what Paul says after he's written all these letters, I'm still trying to get a hold of this stuff that God's got for me. I'm still laying hold of it. It never ever ends. The learning never ends. You never graduate. It's a Holy Spirit school of theology that ends when you get there, you know, to heaven. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. And boy, if the Bible says in there someplace, here's the one thing I do, does everybody's ears perk up? You know, what's the one thing Paul does? He's got, he's narrowed it down to one thing. This is a good thing to take note of. The one thing that I do, I forget those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I don't know what the next learning thing is going to be. I don't know what the next lesson is going to be. But here's what I do know I forget everything that's behind me and I keep looking forward to what's ahead of me, always. That's how you grow. You forget those things which lie. It means you forget your failures. You forget the last lesson maybe. you Don't forget it because you, you, don't, you don't unlearn it. I don't mean that, but you don't relearn it. It's, it's the past. I've got that down. I move on. What's the next thing? You don't ever want to get to that place where this is a pretty comfortable place to be. I've got this. Pretty much no, I can name off 60 books of the Bible instead of 66. I'm pretty close. They're kind of in order. I'm good. And you stop there. No, no, no. Press on, press on, press on towards the goal the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I forget those things which lie behind and I reach on to those. Everybody knows that. Ever watch those fail videos? I hate fail videos, but the one that I like to watch is the one where the guy looks back at the last second before he crosses the tape or too soon, and the person was right behind him and passes him and beats him. And as frustrating as it is, you can see this guy, he's running, and he's got it, he's really got it. And at the last minute he looks, and the guy was right on his shoulder the whole time. And as soon as he turns his head, he takes you know, a misstep a little bit, and the guy steps forward and crosses the tape. You're kidding me, so close. Now, that's not going to happen in our Christianity. We don't, you, you know, you, you don't, oh, I look back one time and now I've lost everything. No, what I'm saying is it, it doesn't help our progress. It doesn't help our momentum in our moving forward with Christ to look at the things that have happened in the past, the wrongs that have been done to you, the forgiveness that you'd offered up. Sometimes I find myself rehashing those things. I don't know if you do or not. Things either I've sinned or done to other people and the forgiveness they gave me, and I kind of think about those things, and it kind of gets me down. I can't believe I was that kind of person or I said that one thing that I said. I can't believe... We're not supposed to rehash those things or relive those things. We leave those things in the past. Likewise, if someone's wronged you and you've offered them forgiveness, you don't bring it back up again. That's what it means by forgetting. I don't know if I can forget. Paul says that that's the one thing he does is he forgets. And he's got a lot of forgetting. All the beatings that that guy took, the stones, the sticks, the whippings, the drownings, and the, you know, the people, the, 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 the hurtful rumors that were spread about him, I forget about all those things. How can you? I'd live in those things if I could. I'd just wallow in my self-pity if I could do you know, that. Oh, these people, I just can't believe nobody likes me. and I don't like them either. And, and all of a sudden, that's a terrible place to be. And Paul says, no, no, I, I forget all those things. And not only that, he's also telling them in context, I'm forgetting the things that they're trying to remind you of, these evildoers, these dogs, these mutilators. They're trying to remind you of the past. They're trying to bring you into their world. They're trying to get you to go back up that hill again. And I'm forgetting those things which are behind. That's in the past. Phariseehood, Sadducee, uh, uh, Sanhedrin. That's all in the past for me. I look forward to what God's got for me now. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And he doesn't describe what mind that is because he already has. The mind he's just talked about, forgetting those things which are behind and moving on towards those which are ahead. If you're mature in the Lord, you do this. That's maturity. Have this mind. And if anything, you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. We need to have that mind if we're going to be mature Christians, forgetting those things which are behind and moving on. Brethren, join in following my example. Remember I said earlier he was going to tell us to watch him and to follow him. Follow my example and note those who so walk, as you have us, for a pattern. What's it look to be a mature Christian? Watch us. That's a pretty bold thing to say. Just watch what we do. We're doing it. Um, The folks that are coming in behind us and telling us that you need all these extracurricular activities in order to have the righteousness that they say they can give you in a certificate, you don't need. Watch us. We are the pattern that God has given you. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, he's talking about all the other believers that he's ever mentioned in his other letters, or even in person, all those people I talked about that many walk and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on the on earthly things. That's a sad statement. He's saying, remember all those people I talked to you about that were with me here, there or the other place? And earlier uh, we've studied um, that he says, I've only got Timothy to send to you right now because he's the only one that would sincerely care for your needs. He means it. All those people we talked about in the past, they're not walking with Jesus anymore. They're actually enemies of the cross now. And the reason he's telling them that in this section right here is because the the dogs, the evil workers, and the mutilators got a hold of these guys and took it away from them. And they became enemies of the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ is so important We kneel at the cross, the old rugged cross. We talk about the cross. The cross is where my sin and your sin was nailed. We know that. And that my righteousness is not found in me or my abilities anymore. That was nailed at the cross. All of my failures were nailed at the cross. That, That doesn't mean just cussing and adultery and all these things that we kind of murder. Those are all on the cross. No, my attempts at being righteous before God that failed, those were nailed at the cross too. They've become enemies of the cross. Those who think that they can attain righteousness without having it given to them through Jesus are now enemies. They're, it's, it's, they're juxtaposed to Christ. You can't have both. Remember when he wrote the Galatians? He says, I, I, I'm, so, I'm surprised at how quickly you've turned from the, from the good news, um, that, that you're, you've, you've turned to, to works again, as opposed to Grace. That you can't have works and grace. It's, it's one or the other. You're either working for your righteousness or you have grace. And that's what he's saying there. These, these become enemies of the cross whose end, and he doesn't pull any punches again, they're, they're destroyed. He said that to the Galatians too, and a lot of people have a difficult time with that, but he says when you remove, when you try to add or accessorize your good works to Christ's good works, you, it, Christ profits you nothing, he tells them. And this might be evidence to that when he says that those who think they can have their own righteousness, their end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Now, he could just be talking about guys that have just gone back to the world, that have just decided to go ahead and make a million dollars as opposed to, you know, have a million missionaries, you know, one of the, you know, whatever. It could be that. It could be that. But in context, he's talking about these people still. Um, and, the, and the problems that they bring, that their doctrine does. Verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. In other words, we're all going to get this resurrection. We're all going to have this new body, and we'll be complete and perfected, and Jesus will do that for us. We, we look forward to that. We eagerly wait for that. We don't eagerly wait for anything else. We eagerly wait for that. You know. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. That's all I want you to do is stand fast. Don't let them move you away from your position now, which is the righteousness of Christ imputed to you. Don't move away from that. I implore Judea and I implore uh, Sinti- Sintichii I don't know if that's right or not. To be of the same mind in the Lord, and I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. They take care. These three ladies are awesome. They've really helped me in the gospel. They've been, and we. They've, there's so many of these that he brings up. We don't know the details of it really, but we know that they were there. Um, we know that Jesus had a, just a wonderful group of ladies that would help him wherever he went. Would minister to him and uh, take care of his needs and all that. And not only his, but the disciples as well. Just a wonderful group of these ladies helping in the gospel. Um, and he says, hey, you know, treat them like that. Um, take care of these. They've labored with the gospel. Um, they're fellow workers. Um, I, I, anyway, be of the same mind. Uh, rejoice. In the Lord always, again, I will say rejoice. And that's just a good litmus test. When I find some doctrine or something that someone's tried to put on me that takes away my joy of what Christ has done for me, as if I thought I was complete, but since they've spoken to me, I don't think I am anymore. That steals my joy. I'm like, oh, I've got to do some more work. No. A resounding no. I am complete in Christ. And so he tells them that again. Rejoice in the Lord. Always, again, I will say rejoice. Please don't let them wipe the smiles off your face and the joy that you have in Jesus. Let your gentleness be known to all men, and that means your graciousness. The Lord is at hand. He thought that 2,000 years ago. I mean, Jesus is coming back any day now, you guys. Just hold on a little bit longer. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's probably the most most common advice that I give to folks that ask me questions. I just don't know if this is the right thing to do or not. I prayed about it, but I don't know. And I say, do you have a peace about it? Does your wife have a peace about it also? Check. She's check and checkmate. You got to make sure that you both have a peace about it. Because when you are anxious about something I don't know and you offer it up to God in prayer with thanksgiving God thanks for this opportunity but I don't know if it's of you or not but thank you either way and you let your request be made known to God that means you let it go and then the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts that's what keeps me I don't know honey I don't know what it is I don't have a peace about it why don't you have a peace? I have no idea you don't have to have a reason. It just doesn't feel right to me. I don't feel comfortable with it. Enough said. Because we offered it to God. And that peace that God is not giving us or giving us, there's peace also in saying no you know, to the opportunity. The opportunity's there. We should take it. It's a lot of money. I don't know what you should do. I don't know. I just don't think we should. Why shouldn't we take a lot of money? I just don't think it's the right thing to do. Okay. And all of a sudden you go to bed at night. You're like, you know, I feel really good about this. I'm glad. God's heart. God has protected your heart by that peace. Watch for that. Listen for that. Pay attention to that. Trust in that. A lot of times we like a pro and con list. We like to still make those. Here's the pros. And here's the cons. Here's what happens if we do it. Here's what happens if we don't. And we go off that. And whichever one has 21 and the other one has 20, well, we go with 21. Stupid way to do it. it really is a bad way to do it. You just you just Pray. I don't have to be anxious for anything. I can choose to be anxious for everything. But I don't have to be anxious about anything. Anything. That's a strong four words. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. There's protection there. Proverbs 12, 25 tells us that anxiety in the heart causes depression. Anxiety in the heart causes depression. So he tells them, don't be anxious. Now he's going to tell us what we can do. Instead of being anxious, which we're prone to, because we're worriers. I don't know how this is going to turn out. Here's what I want you to do. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, and this is our camp verse this year. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just... Whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are good or of a good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. If you're going to think about stuff, think about these things. Don't think about the anxiety and the worry situation. Leave that to God. You've lifted up in prayer, whatever. It's gone. But here's what I will think about. I'm going to think about my beautiful children. I'm going to think about my beautiful husband or my beautiful wife. I'm going to think about the beautiful things that God's given me. I'm going to think about that beautiful cloud formation. I'm going to think about creation and is unique... Think about those things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. And I want to read it to you an article, real quick. We have time. We'll get through this. And I sent this out, um, but I don't know how many listened to it. I think like two people read it just fine. No offense, right? You're going to hear it anyway. But it's an article. It's science. Um, I like to read the stuff like this. It's interesting. Neurons that fire together wire together. You've probably heard this before, right? It comes with, uh, from neuroscience. And what it basically means is that our, brain, our brain's neurocircuit becomes stronger as we use it more. That is why we, you always hear saying practice makes perfect. I understand that. That's where addictions come from, by the way. Practicing a certain sin will create an addiction and all of a sudden you're hardwired that way. Your brain is hardwired that way. We master any skill, task, or activity with continuous practice from playing the guitar to speaking many languages. Science backs this up. However, many researchers today are exploring the other side of the story. They're proposing an idea called synaptic pruning, which means we must unlearn old neural neural connections to learn something new. So it's got a Get rid of some old junk and allow the new stuff to build there, okay? So you you trim off the old branches. I mean, it's so biblical, it's unbelievable. But he prunes so that you have more fruit, right? We have that in scripture, and that's exactly what they're saying. We've got pruners inside of our brain. They do this. We can consider the brain as a garden, where neurons grow synaptic connections. Neurotransmitters, serotonin, dopamine, are those links. The gardeners present in our brain are called glial cells. These gardeners boost the neuron signal speed. The microglial, I think that's how it's pronounced, cells are the pruning gardeners, and they remove waste from the synaptic connections. Remember what I sent out earlier? You probably didn't read it, so let me tell you about it. When you sleep, your brain cells actually constrict 60%. Did you know that? Your brain shrinks 60% when you sleep. It's like wringing out a sponge. It compacts like this, and it comes through with a wave of fluid. It washes away all the debris, and that's why when you wake up, you're kind of smarter. You're a little sharper after you wake up. You can tell when you're super tired, you're like, oh, that's because you're just getting dumber the more you stay there. So when you fall asleep, if you can sleep, your brain just shrinks up, and the wave goes all the way through, and you wake up, you're like, all right. That's why they say, hey, sleep on it, right? Okay. That's what they're talking about here. This is happening with you in your little garden. God rings it out when you sleep. And here's why when you don't sleep, you get foggy, your memory's bad, things get weird, you start seeing things, because you ain't wrung out the sponge recently, okay? So, they present, they do this, these microcells do the pruning, they remove waste from the synaptic connections. Researchers, here's the important part, continue to explore and break down the mystery of pruning of these connections. The less used synoptic connections are marked down by C1Q, which is a protein. The marks are then detected by the pruner's microglial cells, who proceed to prune the connection. As a result, our brain is maintained and developed to build new connections as well as strengthen them in the process. Do you understand how biblical that is? Stop doing the things you're not supposed to do. Quit repeating those things over and over again. You'll get marked with your C1Q. That stuff begins to diminish. Meditate on those things you're supposed to be meditating on. Those synaptic nerves begin to get built. Guys, this is such a great book. See, I don't do what God says because I read this article. And please don't ever wait for the science to figure out or catch up with. God has given us a manual for us. And when we do what God's word tells us to do, it works. How do I stop addiction? First of all, you stop doing the addiction. You do stop doing the thing. And it is going to be difficult. But you have to keep stopping it until it gets marked with your C1Q protein and your little, whatever those pruners are called, and you wring out the sponge and it erases those things. All of a sudden that connection is not in there. That's just easier and I don't feel like I need that anymore. I don't think about those things like I used to think about all the time. Don't. The more we think about stuff, anxiety builds and builds and builds. And the more you develop that, you're just making those synaptic, you're just making it stronger and stronger connection. So I don't start, and I'm, this is physical, but it has spiritual benefits to it. So he tells us, I don't want you to be anxious. I want you to leave that to God and then forget it. And then I want you to do this. I want you to think about those things which are noble what are true, what are pure, what are lovely, what are good report, and you will change. How do I get conformed to the image of Christ? How could he be the kind of person he was here on earth in the midst of all of this? How could he be that great of a guy? Besides, he's God come in the flesh. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. But because this is what he did. He prayed. He knew that that was important. He slept. He slept during storms and he prayed when it was quiet. Not the other way around. See, I, <laughs> I sleep when it's quiet and I pray during storms. God, Jesus did the opposite. And he slept and he's renewed. And he was really smart. Verse 10. This is where we close. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. In other words, you, you've always supplied my need, but it's been a while and it's so great that you guys came and sent, sent him over here, um, the, the guy, their, their runner, and, and took care of me. It was so great. I know you always care about me, but you lacked opportunity and so you took that opportunity and you did it. It's such a blessing. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned, in whatever state, I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to bound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, you really need to have verses, <laughs> verse 12 with 13. When you put 13 up on your wall, it really doesn't quite cover it, does it? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In context, he says, I can learn to be hungry, I can learn to suffer, and I can learn to be abased, because Christ can help me through all that stuff. What a great lesson for us. Just to be content. I know that you guys blessed me with these wonderful things that you sent with your runner to me, um, your, your, your emissary. Thank you for that. But it's not that I needed it because I'll be fine no matter what state I find myself in. I'll be fine whether I'm abased or whether I'm abounding, whether I'm full or whether I'm hungry or abounding or suffering. I'll be fine because I, I have the joy of the Lord. Verse 14. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you, Philippians, know also, that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but only you. They were his only supporters. Paul the apostle had one church that would support him. And even then, he didn't need them. And that's important for us. They, you know, Every minister out there needs to know that they rely on God, not other people to have pity and compassion on them. They, ha- they have to rely on God completely. When I first got saved and was married to Jenny, and I still am married to Jenny, um, when I was first married to Jenny, um, wherever you want to send me, God, I'll go. I mean, I didn't care. Antarctica? Fine. I mean, I I am gung-ho. I'll go anywhere. He sent me here. You guys really needed me. No. He sent me here. And I never look back on that. I never say well, this is great that I got here, but there's so much greater need over here and there's much a greater need. No, I asked God to send me wherever he wanted me to go. He had his pick of duty stations to send me to and this is where he sent me. And so this is where I'm planted and this is where I minister and this is my concern. And I'll concern myself with other ministries if I can or if we can or when it's necessary, but I will never forsake this ministry for other ministries because this is where he's called me. And likewise, those ministers planted here, there, or anywhere are also sent by God to those places for those people need to concern themselves with those and not be concerned with everybody else and what they're doing. Paul says, I had one church that took care of me, and that's you guys. Thank you for that. Such a blessing. I needed that. I've always relied on That's why you bring me joy. No church shared with me concerning giving or receiving only you. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift. I'm not looking for that. I'm not looking to pass the hat next time I'm in Philippi. But I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. See, that's a true shepherd. That's a true father in the faith. I was so excited that you wanted to do that. That's such maturity. That's such growth. Oh, that's so great that they wanted to. They said, what? They can't afford that. That is so cool. He could care less about the money. He'd have sent it back, given them cash and other directions so that they were never out the money to begin with. He was so pleased that their heart was in such a place that they wanted to do something like that. That's great. That's maturity. And he tells them that. Not that I seek the gifts, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent uh, from you, a sweet smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So excited for them. And here's a final few verses Greet everyone, or greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you, all the saints greet you but especially those who are of, the, of Caesar's household. Those are, his, those are his workers in Caesar's household. It's like everybody's getting saved in the, in the, in the uh, palace there. Uh, all the guards are getting saved. Centurions are getting saved. They were getting, they've always been getting saved, though. They've always been around um, with Jesus and, and everybody else. And, um, but the, the servants and everybody getting saved, they all greet you. You can almost hear them whisper it. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And sometimes that last verse, we just kind of read it as, you know, salutations or sincerely yours. No, that is Paul's entire message wrapped up in one verse. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. That's what he wants you to stick with. Stick with grace. Always stick with grace. Grace isn't uh, the one thing, it's the only thing. That's what Pastor Chuck used to say. It's not one thing, it's the only thing. It's grace. Grace changes everything. All right, let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word. Thank you for that wonderful letter that you put on Paul's heart to write to the Philippians, even in prison, when he needed help, when he was the one that needed to be comforted, he sends comfort. Uh, What a great man of God, and we thank you for him. Now, we would like to be those same kind of people, Lord, Um, that we wouldn't concern ourselves with our own circumstances, but we would always be looking for a way to bring joy to other people in our circumstances, no matter what they are, whether we're hungry or we're abased or Um, In need, Uh, even then, we're not looking to meet those things and make those things go away from our lives, but that we might meet other people and help them in those situations. And so we thank you for Paul's example. He tells us to imitate him as he imitates you. Um, And so, likewise, we're going to do that, but we also would like other people to be able to imitate us as we imitate you. So it'll help us to walk in the Spirit, to be truly born again, to check our own hearts, to see where we stand with you religious, or born again. We want to be born again. And maybe there's some tonight that have never been born again and they want to pray right now and ask for that. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I've always known that. I've always followed you. I've been in church my whole life and I'm sitting here tonight because I knew this is where I wanted to be. But I want to be born again. I want to be born of the Spirit. I don't want to look at the external in my life to prove who I am or With whom I stand, I want to know in my heart that I'm with you. So Lord, I want to be born again. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. Help me to uh, do all the things that I want to do by the power of your Spirit. And to not do all the things I don't want to do by the power of your Spirit. Help me to walk with you closer and closer. I want to worship you in spirit and truth. Lord, bless these folks as they go tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. Have a good night, everybody.